Chapter Two of the Chronicles of Avonlea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Chronicles of Avonlea, by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Chapter Two, Old Lady Lloyd, Part Six, The October Chapter. On the second morning after Old Lady Lloyd's journey to town, Sylvia Gray was walking blithely down the wood lane. It was a beautiful autumn morning, clear and crisp and sunny. The frosted ferns, drenched and battered with the rain of yesterday, gave out a delicious fragrance. Here and there in the woods a maple waved a gay crimson banner, or a branch of birch showed pale golden against the dark, unchanging spruces. The air was very pure and exhilarating. Sylvia walked with a joyous lightness of step and uplift of brow. At the beach in the hollow she paused for an expectant moment, but there was nothing among the gray old roots for her. She was just turning away when little Teddy Kimball, who lived next door to the manse, came running down the slope from the direction of the old Lloyd place. Teddy's freckled face was very pale. "'Oh, Miss Gray!' he gasped. I guess old lady Lloyd has gone clean crazy at last. The minister's wife asked me to run up to the old lady with a message about the sewing circle, and I knocked and knocked, and nobody came, so I thought I'd just step in and leave the letter on the table. But when I opened the door, I heard an awful queer laugh in the sitting room, and next minute the old lady came to the sitting room door. Oh, Miss Gray, she looked awful. Her face was red and her eyes awful wild, and she was muttering and talking to herself and laughing like mad. I was so scared I just turned and run. Sylvia, without stopping for reflection, caught Teddy's hand and ran up the slope. It did not occur to her to be frightened, although she thought with Teddy that the poor, lonely, eccentric old lady had really gone out of her mind at last. The old lady was sitting on the kitchen sofa when Sylvia entered. Teddy, too frightened to go in, lurked on the step outside. The old lady still wore the damp black silk dress in which she had walked from the station. Her face was flushed, her eyes wild, her voice hoarse. But she knew Sylvia and cowered down. "'Don't look at me,' she moaned. "'Please go away. I can't bear that you should know how poor I am. You're to go to Europe. Andrew Cameron is going to send you. I asked him. He couldn't refuse me. But please go away.' Sylvia did not go away. At a glance she had seen that this was sickness and delirium, not insanity. She sent Teddy off in hot haste for Mrs. Spencer, and when Mrs. Spencer came they induced the old lady to go to bed and sent for the doctor. By night everybody in Spencervale knew that old lady Lloyd had pneumonia. Mrs. Spencer announced that she meant to stay and nurse the old lady. Several other women offered assistance. Everybody was kind and thoughtful, but the old lady did not know it. She did not even know Sylvia Gray, who came and sat by her every minute she could spare. Sylvia Gray now knew all that she had suspected. The old lady was her fairy godmother. The old lady babbled of Sylvia incessantly, revealing all her love for her, betraying all the sacrifices she had made. Sylvia's heart ached with love and tenderness, and she prayed earnestly that the old lady might recover. "'I want her to know that I give her love for love,' she murmured. Everybody knew now how poor the old lady really was. She let slip all the jealously guarded secrets of her existence, except her old love for Leslie Gray. Even in delirium something sealed her lips as to that. 
But all else came out, her anguish over her unfashionable attire, her pitiful makeshifts and contrivances, her humiliation over wearing unfashionable dresses and paying only five cents where every other sewing circle member paid ten. The kindly women who waited on her listened to her with tear-filled eyes and repented of their harsh judgments in the past. "'But who would have thought it?' said Mrs. Spencer to the minister's wife. "'Nobody ever dreamed that her father had lost all his money, though folks supposed he had lost some in that old affair of the silver mine out west. It's shocking to think of the way she has lived all these years, often with not enough to eat, and going to bed in winter days to save fuel. Though I suppose if we had known we couldn't have done much for her, she's so desperate proud. But if she lives and will let us help her, things will be different after this.' Crooked Jack says he'll never forgive himself for taking pay for the few little jobs he did for her. He says if she'll only let him, he'll do everything she wants done for her after this for nothing. Ain't it strange what a fancy she's took to Miss Gray? Think of her doing all those things for her all summer and selling the grape jug and all. Well, the old lady certainly isn't mean, but nobody made a mistake in calling her queer. It all does seem desperate pitiful. Miss Gray's taking it awful hard. She seems to think about as much of the old lady as the old lady thinks of her. She's so worked up she don't even seem to care about going to Europe next year. She's really going. She's had word from Andrew Cameron. I'm awful glad, for there never was a sweeter girl in the world, but she says it will cost too much if the old lady's life is to pay for it. Andrew Cameron heard of the old lady's illness and came out to Spencervale himself. He was not allowed to see the old lady, of course, but he told all concerned that no expense or trouble was to be spared, and the Spencervale doctor was instructed to send his bill to Andrew Cameron and hold his peace about it. Moreover, when Andrew Cameron went back home, he sent a trained nurse out to wait on the old lady, a capable, kindly woman who contrived to take charge of the case without offending Mrs. Spencer, than which no higher tribute could be paid to her tact. The old lady did not die. The Lloyd Constitution brought her through. One day, when Sylvia came in, the old lady smiled up at her, with a weak, faint, sensible smile, and murmured her name, and the nurse said that the crisis was past. The old lady made a marvelously patient and tractable invalid. She did just as she was told, and accepted the presence of the nurse as a matter of course. But one day, when she was strong enough to talk a little, she said to Sylvia, "'I suppose Andrew Cameron sent Miss Hayes here, did he?' "'Yes,' said Sylvia, rather timidly. The old lady noticed the timidity and smiled, with something of her old humor and spirit in her black eyes. "'Time has been when I'd have packed off, unceremoniously, any person Andrew Cameron sent here,' she said. "'But, Sylvia, I have gone through the valley of the shadow of death, and I have left pride and resentment behind me forever, I hope. I no longer feel as I felt toward Andrew. I can even accept a personal favor from him now.' At last I can forgive him for the wrong he did me and mine. Sylvia, I find that I have been letting no ends of cats out of bags in my illness. Everybody knows how poor I am, but I don't seem to mind it a bit. I'm only sorry that I ever shut my neighbors out of my life because of my foolish pride. Everyone has been so kind to me, Sylvia. In the future, if my life is spared, it's going to be a very different sort of life. I'm going to open it to all the kindness and companionship I can find in young and old. I'm going to help them all I can, and let them help me. I can help people. 
I've learned that money isn't the only power for helping people. Any one who has sympathy and understanding to give has a treasure that is without money and without price. And, oh, Sylvia, you found out what I never meant you to know. But I don't mind that now, either. Sylvia took the old lady's thin white hand and kissed it. I can never thank you enough for what you have done for me, dearest Miss Lloyd, she said earnestly, and I am so glad that all mystery is done away with between us, and I can love you as much and as openly as I have longed to do. I am so glad and so thankful that you love me, dear fairy godmother. Do you know why I love you so? said the old lady wistfully. Did I let that out in my raving, too? No, but I think I know. It is because I am Leslie Gray's daughter, isn't it? I know that father loved you. His brother, Uncle Willis, told me all about it. I spoiled my own life because of my wicked pride, said the old lady sadly. But you will love me in spite of it all, won't you, Sylvia? And will you come to see me sometimes and write to me after you go away? I am coming to see you every day, said Sylvia. I am going to stay in Spencervale for a whole year yet just to be near you. And next year, when I go to Europe, thanks to you, fairy godmother, I'll write you every day. We are going to be the best of chums, and we're going to have a most beautiful year of comradeship. The old lady smiled contentedly. Out in the kitchen, the minister's wife, who had brought up a dish of jelly, was talking to Mrs. Spencer about the sewing circle. Through the open window, where the red vines hung, came the pungent, sun-warm October air. The sunshine fell over Sylvia's chestnut hair like a crown of glory and youth. I do feel so perfectly happy, said the old lady with a long, rapturous breath. End of chapter two, part six.